Hello, and welcome to episode 20 of Expected Value, the podcast that goes inside the sports analytics world. I'm Paul Carr from True Media, and this week we go inside the NFL Combine, talking Big Data Bowl with the two winners of the NFL's Kaggle competition. That previous sentence didn't make much sense. The NFL's Big Data Bowl is a league-sponsored competition with $75,000 of prize money. The league released certain player tracking data from 2017 and 2018 and then asked participants to predict how many yards a rusher would gain based on a freeze frame at the handoff. And the winners at the competition was held on a site called Kaggle. And this week's guests were Dmitry Gordeev, originally from Russia, and Philip Singer, who's from Austria. In my conversation with Dmitry and Philip, we'll get into more detail about the competition, about how these two Europeans who were completely unfamiliar with the NFL won the Big Data Bowl, the effect that no NFL knowledge had, their backgrounds and what drew them together and toward this competition, how they developed their model, the keys to dominating the competition, what their work suggested about running back skill, and what's next for them. Then, Albert Larcata will join me to talk about the Big Data Bowl and our experience at the NFL Combine last week when True Media met with 20-something NFL teams to talk about their analytics needs. Now, without further ado, here's the Expected Value Conversation with Dmitry Gordeev and Philip Singer, winners of the NFL's Big Data Bowl. All right, I'm joined now on Expected Value by Dmitry Gordeev and Philip Singer, who were the winners of the second Big Data Bowl put on by the NFL. We'll have them explain what they've done and get into the details of that. So let me start with you, Dimitri. Tell me just first your general background, like who you are, where you're from, and what you do kind of outside of this big data bowl experience. Hi, my name is Dimitri. Uh, I work for uh, an Unica insurance company in Austria, but originally I'm from Russia, where, where I graduated uh, as a specialist in machine learning. So I have a machine learning background, first of all. Um, yeah, work for insurance company, but I do uh, Kaggle competition together with, uh, competitions together with Philip on the side. So yeah, that's me. Um, hi, my name is Philip. Um, I am from Austria, so born and raised there. I studied computer science in Technical University of Graz, which is the second largest town in Austria. I also did a PhD in computer science, and after that, um, continued to re- be in research in computer science, data science, machine learning related topics and after a while decided to move into industry. So I ended up also at the same insurance company as Dimitri, where both of us met, and where I'm currently still working at. Uh, so before we get into the details of the Big Data Bowl, tell me what Kaggle is. So I've read up on it, but I think for someone who's kind of outside the data science world, Kaggle doesn't mean anything. So tell me uh, just kind of what Kaggle is, Dimitri. Kaggle was founded approximately nine years ago as a platform to host machine learning competitions. So uh, institutions, companies, research institutes, uh, they come there, they bring their data and the task, and they just host competition. On the other side, there's a a huge community counting uh, hundreds of thousands of active participants jumping into the uh, competitions and providing uh, insights or building models and and so forth. The platform itself was acquired by Google approximately two years ago, I think, Uh, but they still continued hosting competitions and the community is still growing quite rapidly these days. The competitions themselves are of all sorts, including Big Data Bowl as uh, hosting like sports analytics, there are text analytics, uh, uh, there is like image competitions, tabular, banks are participating, 
uh, one of the competitions we participated was um, well hosted on Kaggle, but sponsored by Los Alamos National Laboratory, both laboratory earthquakes, uh, Quora, and so on. So all sorts of companies, all sorts of data, and all sorts of tasks to get solved. All right, Philip. So how did you and Dimitri get connected and you said start entering these a year a little more ago? How did you two kind of get going down this Kaggle route together? Um, so we had weekly or monthly rather hackathons in our company where we decided to jump into some different kinds of topics outside of our main responsibilities in the insurance company. Mostly we wanted to strengthen our methodological uh, knowledge. And at one point, because Dimitri did it before already, we decided to just start randomly with a Kaggle competition, um, which was in that case about Quora, which is a question answering platform, um, I think quite well known in the US. And um, the task was to predict sincerity of a question. And we jumped into it because we had some text related uh, problems at work as well. Um, we unexpectedly won that competition, directly our first one. So that's why we got hooked to the platform and we continued from there on. Now, a bit more than a year ago, that was when we started together. Um, as we both of us were quite successful together, we mostly participated together. Um, and that that's, was the start to a journey, I would say. So both of you guys, Philip from Austria, Dimitri from Russia, not American, obviously, not familiar generally with the NFL. What made you decide to pick this competition to go for it together? As Philip mentioned, we're always excited about learning new things. And in this regard, it's uh, first of all about like new data and new types of the competitions. And when we saw NFL, that was definitely something we have never dealt before, both topic-wise and data-wise because this is tracking data of players and sports analytics. Uh, we're both sports fans, uh, not particularly NFL fans, at least yet. So it was interesting for us to dig into this topic. So Phil, what were some of the, what would be an advantage to coming at this with almost no NFL knowledge? I can see how somehow, sometimes coming with a completely clean slate can be helpful. How did that help you in this competition? I think it helped us to some degree because we were not like we didn't have much high expectations and high prior hypothesis that we necessarily wanted to implement to the whole thing like let's say you're already studying sports analytics for 10 years and you have some very strong opinions about things and you believe in let's say some random things like the weather impacting the place then you want to make it work kind of thingy so we had like no expectations at all and we but we rather had a strong methodological background so we could come into the competition starting with methodology that was probably not applied in that way before and so we started from a completely different path than others um, at least people more similar to us who had no knowledge started more on our path and others um, started more on different path so I think that's quite beneficial because it can bring new perspective to the field and also can um, bring ideas to others um, in what kind of different way you can solve these kind of issues. I guess I should take a step back and look at like what the actual question was. So we'll ask you, Dimitri, what was the question that was posed to the big datable participants and how did you go about thinking about it after that? The question was to predict the yardage of a running play given the data at the moment of handoff. What we thought about that in the beginning was we have no idea what's a handoff and what's a yardage of a running play. 
<laughs> so like the first week was spent on like learning the data structure and what's happening on the on the field, on the pitch there what data provided what's handoff and so on and so forth and so forth who's rusher what's happening there so for us it was a steep learning curve both with regards to nfl rules and tracking data so we didn't have like a lot of prior knowledge or expectations or I- even ideas before we started digging into the data and, and into the topic and then what data was provided to you and how We'll get into the model in a, in a moment, but how, once you had done that, was your model assessed and ranked against competition? The data comes from the next-gen stats, which is tracking data um, that every NFL player has in their shoulder pads, I believe. So they track basically position throughout the play, and throughout from the position you can derive um, a lot of other um, factors like speed, acceleration, direction of movement, and so forth. Um, so they collected over frames. And what we had was exactly the frame of handoff. And we had just had that frame and some extra information like current speed, acceleration, position, as, and so forth. And then we needed to predict, as Dimitri said, how far the Russia will most likely run from this point in time. The evaluation was based on, or assessment was based on, on exactly this expected yardage. Um, it wasn't a hard um, prediction we needed to do, but rather a probability distribution so what is the minimum um, distance he will rush and then give probability estimates basically so what do you do so they give you this frame how do you go about from a technical standpoint how do you go about thinking through this and developing a model what's next we jumped in the comp- into the competition since the very first day and we rushed into it so we just threw a lot of ideas on the table and started testing them most of them kind of failed, but uh, within a week or two, we got the idea of the data, idea of what's happening, idea of what can work when, uh, or what can fail miserably after that. And that led us to some ideas uh, kind of more structured, more well-grounded to try out, and that shined in the end. So like the first week was just learning curve and trying random stuff. So you got trial and error to try to kind of figure out what worked. And so from a, a technical standpoint, what were the technical you know, modeling factors that you put in to uh, produce the winning model? I think the key, f- the f- key thing that we figured out after maybe a week or two, three, was that um, there is no real order in how the players are positioned on the field. Um, so in a classical statistical model, let's think of a regression model, and you want to put in all the features of each player on the field, you have to come up with some kind of ordering because you need to say this feature is for Russia 1 and then you need to know who is Russia 1. Yeah? Is, it, uh, is it or a defender 1? Yeah? Is it the defender 1 closest to the Russia and so on? So you need to come up with some order, which we tried in the beginning, um, like ordering them by distance to the Russia. But this was okay, but was not good enough. And after a while we figured, okay, we need to have something which can learn on itself basically how all players are positioned and the relative features between them. So we didn't need to manually order them. So you have kind of a set of players. And we also saw that um, you can do a lot of feature engineering on yourself, but in this case, it was more helpful to let a model do it. And so we started to work with uh, neural networks and neural networks, you can you can then shape up the data in a way that the neural network learns on itself kind of what features it needs to derive. And we could also find a structure 
um, that was not dependent on the ordering of players. So it sounds like the ordering of players was something you expected to be useful and ended up not being that much. Anything else, what else surprised you as you kind of dove into the data and tried to answer the question? Something we learned definitely uh, was uh, around the, this particular topic because everyone rushed into like generating variables, generating certain features which sound important to someone who knows NFL, someone who knows how, how plays go. Uh, we also tried that, um, which included also implicit or explicit ordering of players. Like there is a typical thing and a couple of articles out there to create like Voronoi areas and assess how much space does rusher have in front of him or how much space does defenders cover and stuff like this. And eventually you limit yourself to a certain number of features and certain implicit uh, ordering of players. So if, if you start assessing how far defenders are, you start thinking, okay, let's assess the distance to the closest defender, second closest and so forth. And we just decided that that's definitely very limited and we're uh, we kind of imposing very arbitrary decisions into the model, which definitely not going to be optimal so we thought about like putting together a certain list of criteria for the model and then we went through that and we just saw the structure okay this is going to be neural network so it's going to generate the features out of what we have as input data uh, it's going to have certain uh, structure to uh, derive certain dependencies and not not consider others and then it just shined so the most surprising thing was that the most logical idea in the model worked out. That doesn't happen that far, that often. What other factors proved key to deciding how far a runner was going to get accurately? What were the, the key variables that you found as you built everything out? So the key factors were really, really limited, actually. It was just the relative position between um, defender and Russia and offensive players and, uh, and defensive uh, defensive players um, relative speed and that's basically it yeah so we also had provided separate data which was like the stadium uh, the weather the pitch is it uh, artificial natural we tried to incorporate those things but it brought no value at all and also interestingly um, hard coding like the specific player into the model was also not helpful, like saying um, this is player A. And I want to jump on that real quick because that's a kind of a hot button thing in the NFL yeah. about how important the running back himself is. So what you're saying is it didn't matter much if it was, you know, we'll just say a really good running back by general perception or someone who was not as big a star, that that didn't have too much of a factor into determining the outcome accurately. Is that correct? Um, that is correct. But... I have to mention that this only is the case when you look after the handoff, basically. Right. And I personally believe, or we personally believe, that um, a skill of a player particularly shines generating this situation. So the build-up towards this situation, because then it's already decided which direction the player is moving, what is the speed of the player, and so forth. But we didn't have the data for the for the frames before the handoff. But I believe there are different types of of skills, and a lot of personal skill comes from basically generating the situation. But then 
if you would replace the player with a different player with the same speed and the same direction and the same play, basically, it does not really matter who is the player. Then it's rather how well it's executed. And that is very diverse of who the player is, I would say. That's really interesting. So once the player is in this spot where you guys basically started, it doesn't matter as much. But you think or suspect that getting to that spot is what's what really matters. So what else, in theory, if you could build on this, make, extend this project and get more data and make this better, what else would you want to continue to explore aside from maybe how well a players, players put themselves in those positions? What else would be interesting to you in theory? Yeah, in, in this situation, like... Um I probably can put it in simpler terms that if it's if the rusher is running towards an open defender, it doesn't matter if it's an all-star rusher or it's a newbie. Basically, he's gonna just run into the defender. But whatever leads to this to this position is something to get explored. We we got only uh, the frame at the handoff, but there is way way more data available from next next gen stats, and a lot of analysis can be performed to assess how rushers uh, make decisions, uh, how defenders uh, creating space, for offensive players creating uh, space for rushers, how defensive players uh, are breaking the line of scrimmage and stuff stuff like this. What we believe is that there is it is possible to build on top of the model to assess uh, maybe individual players, maybe also like team plays and certain running plays. So uh, given that we only use like positional and uh, velocity data, you can basically draw a play and assess how well it's going to go on average and move around individual players and see how, how much they impact and so forth. And continuing this idea, it might be something beneficial for the teams to assess individual players and assess how well the plays goes, maybe some collaborative uh, efforts of the teams and so forth. What uh? What else did you learn about? We'll just say the NFL, because you're always you're just kind of you're coming at this from an outside perspective. So I think it's again interesting to get that angle as you're looking at this and from what you've learned about the way numbers and analytics are used in the NFL. What else did you kind of take away from this experience so far? Yeah, first of all, um, we completely jumped as newbies into the whole field of sports analytics, and I have to say I'm really really excited about the, about the whole field. Like we encountered a new type of community on Twitter, on other platforms, and they are all really friendly and um, really experienced. I think we are more coming from a machine learning side, and uh, I believe most of the um, uh, stats, stat, sports stats people are more on the stats side. And I feel like there is a lot of room for predictive analytics in, in NFL, specifically with this type of, of data. Um, so if you have good models, um, you can do a lot of like Dimitri already mentioned, you can like manipulate manually the data and see how the model performs. This can be used for coaching um, efforts. Like that's how coaching works. Like t telling a player, "Oh, you should have been here," yeah, and then you can actually assess what would that, how would that have impacted the play if you would move the player around. Um, so in general, I think there is a lot of room for for um, for predictive analytics in the field. I'm combining it with traditional statistics, and that's why. Coming back to the beginning, um, it's very important to more um, cooperate between different fields and different um, different backgrounds because then you can kind of bring a field forward, I believe. So you mentioned your first foray into sports in the Kaggle front. Something you're going to continue? Is there another sport or something that you kind of have your eye on or interested? 
Well, if they release another competition on European football, we'll be even more excited probably. Uh, but that's difficult because um, in NFL, uh, lucky for you, you have everything centralized and structured. Uh, so you can start collecting the data on all on the entire league, on the whole all teams in the same manner. And moreover, the NFL is doing the, the very painful but very uh, valuable, dirty work of collecting th this data. I, I think this is uh, European football leagues, all of them are far behind in this regard. And I hope NFL will keep moving that, maybe uh, extend it to college sports, uh, to college games and so forth, so we can extend the, an the analysis towards younger players and uh, do some predictive analytics for the personnel stuff. But other than that, you have now have a large piece of data to do lots of analysis and not limiting yourself to running plays. Uh, but this can definitely be exp extended to other types of plays and other types of situations on the pitch. Same question for you, Philip. Looking to other sports or what else kind of interests you as you have made your first trip into this kind of sports analytics realm? Yeah, I'm, I personally am also an um, association football fan, like European football. Um, I heard that they are also collecting it in MLS, so um, there should be also data in the US more on a um, collective manner. I believe also NHL can be really interesting um, because there you have also very, very specific, I don't know, shots and so on. And, and, and you can, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a bit similar. I think in general, all team sports, um, I mean, in, in American football, you have like more discrete plays, like you have a play and then it's stop. Yep. And in association football, and NHL and basketball and so on. You have more fluid gameplay. So it might be a m bit more different, difficult to disentangle the types of plays. But I've, I've, of course, there's also, um, like the setup is similar. You, you just have to work from a different perspective a bit. So what's next? You got, whether it's sports, whether it's another Kaggle competition, what's kind of next for you guys? We don't know yet. Basically, we're spending quite a lot of time on Kaggle. So whatever comes up on Kaggle, um, might get our interest and uh, interest and might be the next focus. They're gonna do reinforcement learning the, this time, I think. So we might jump into that topic again. It's a new topic for us, and we're really hungry for trying new stuff and learning new things. And reinforcement learning would mean that's a new sort of machine learning modeling, which is quite hyped. Basically, it's about teaching your model to make actions in a certain environment. Usually it's a simulated environment. For instance, uh, you're playing a game. Uh, it might be a video game. It might be an artificially created game. And you're just teaching the, the computer to play to be the best. It started based on the typical games like chess, uh, Go, and the others. And now machine learning techniques are beating the best players in the area. Last years, they extended it to a more complex video games like StarCraft and Dota. And now the machines can beat, in most of those games as well, uh, they can be the, the best players. And that might be uh, also another big area to for us to jump in and to learn. So we usually wrap up this podcast by running through some favorites. So I'm just going to ask you some random questions about some of your favorites. So I'm going to start with you, Philip, from Austria. What is your favorite uh, team? Like, what's the team that you've supported as a as a kid or growing up and now? Not an NFL team. <laughs> no, you know, any sport, presumably soccer or football, as you call um, it. I'm actually one of those crazy persons who likes national 
football in Austria. So from my hometown, Graz, it's uh, Sturm Graz. Um, no one knows it outside probably, but that's I, I, I was always like focusing on national. European-wise, I follow everything, um, but I don't have one particular team I'm I'm heavily rooting for. But I uh, locally I went a lot to the stadium and like uh, supported the team there. Dimitri, same question for you: whether it's a Russian team or another European team you picked up. I'm a supporter of uh, Arsenal from London, so I follow uh, English Premier, Premier League and Arsenal over the past 10 to 15 years, I guess. They're going through some difficult times now, as well we know, but I hope they will manage. Uh, maybe sometimes if we uh, get to work for Arsenal and help them improve a little bit, that would be, that would be a, a very nice thing to do. Other than that, uh, I watch hockey from time to time but I don't have a particular team to which I follow but in general maybe like world competition stuff like this where, where you see the national teams do you have a favorite sporting memory it can be any sport just something that hey this is pretty cool whether it's for your favorite team or something another team that you supported growing up for my hometown team winning the league basically happened for me life a couple of years ago um that was that was quite nice, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Anything stick out to you, Dimitri, kind of in your consciousness? Being an Arsenal supporter for the past 10 years, I cannot say I have a very good uh, winning memory or, or something, and probably there to come. Uh, but maybe just some European football uh, when Russia did very well to tell back in 2008, I believe. That was quite, a, quite an exciting moment for me. All right, and now obviously you're here in Indianapolis at the Combine, the Big Data Bowl. I'm not sure how much you've gotten to the U.S., but is there a favorite thing you've found in U.S., whether it's food and experience, just something that sticks with you from visiting here in the United States? I have been a few times to the U.S., mostly West Coast, uh, Coast I have to say. Um, I like kind of the friendliness of people. It sounds sounds like in, in Vienna, it's people are always grumpy. Uh, here, people seem at least friendlier. I'm not sure if it's really honest or not, but um, it seems at least like that. Otherwise, I actually like the food. Um, and also it's it has a lot of diversity in in the us um both people wise and also nature wise so you can do a lot here which which i i really enjoy same question dimitri favorite thing about coming to the us good question i've been into the states twice so this is the second time and indianapolis um, i have been here for like 10 hours probably so i cannot say anything about indianapolis the previous trip was in new york so i definitely can agree with regards to people being open and food being very good and diverse uh also probably the entertainment uh which probably states is popular for Anyway, I spent a lot of time like walking around and watching musicals in New York, of course. Uh, that was that was quite impressive. What I, what I forgot to mention is that also what I really like about the US is the technological advancement they have and that they generate, like specifically in our field. Most of the stuff is coming from Silicon Valley and so on. So that's also something uh, that excites me because like in Austria, for example, people are way further behind everything. Like they're more like slow and not so so risky also in, in what they wanted to achieve. So that's also what I like. Great. That'll wrap things up for us. Thank you, Dimitri Gordeyev, Philip Singer. Thanks for joining us. Congratulations on your win. Thanks for joining us here on Expected Value.
Back in the True Media Studios, I'm Paul Carr. Thanks again to the Big Data Bowl winners, Dmitry Gordeyev and Philip Singer, for talking to Expected Value at the NFL Combine last week. You can follow them on Twitter, at D-O-T-T-1718, that's Dmitry, and at P-H underscore Singer, that's Philip. You can find those Twitter handles in our show notes, along with several other links related to the Big Data Bowl. I'm joined now by True Media's Albert Larcata, who is also at the Combine and attended the Big Data Bowl presentation. Albert, first, just kind of set the stage a little bit in the sense that there's a whole lot more to this Combine than just guys, you know, going through their workouts and such. So what happens at the Combine and then what exactly was the Big Data Bowl? Yeah, there's almost two different events going on at the Combine. There's the part you see on on NFL Network or ESPN where, you know, people or college guys are running and jumping and all that. Then there's almost this separate world going on at the hotels and the conference rooms with uh, vendors in the space like our, like ourselves, um, league meetings going on. Uh, this year in particular was a little unique because of the CBA agreement, uh, the players union and all that. But those types of meetings are going on every combine sort of unrelated to the actual combine itself. Indianapolis becomes a giant pool of people who work in the NFL, even college football space meeting and yeah, it's like the one big catch up of the year. The big data bowl is interesting because so I, I think this was my seventh combine and, you know, three or four years ago, we, we you know, we're, we're a company that works with NFL teams. So it's a good time for us to meet with our current clients and potential clients. And so, you know, we're there's a logistics to it where you're scheduling meetings throughout the day and, you know, uh, showing off your stuff. And so in the past, you know, there was never really a, you could kind of schedule meetings whenever, you know, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. or whatever. And now the last two years, there's this very clear gap, like at 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. on Wednesdays, where you just can't get meetings with teams, especially when what we do, because they're all at the Big Data Bowl. So it's uh, it's almost like its own sort of event that uh, hundreds of uh, team personnel on the R&D side, coaching side, scouting side are, are all there. So yeah, this this was the first year I went to it. I didn't go last year. It was good. It was uh, Philip uh, and and hit the the zoo, if you will, uh, gave a quick talk on how they won the Kaggle, what they did. A couple other people who were in the Kaggle spoke. The college uh, side, there's a separate competition going on on the college side where six college students, either one or two, uh, presented on their work and were judged by a few people from the NFL. Uh, I think there was someone from AWS there too who was a judge. Afterwards, they had like 45 minutes, 60 minutes, something like that for all the NFL team personnel there to just sort of walk up to them, talk to them, network, ask them more about what they did. I mean, it's a great experience for the college students, but it's also good for the team people and the vendors who are there just to kind of get a state of what's going on, what people are doing with the tracking data. So it's a good event. It's very unique. And um, it was it was pretty cool. Yeah, I think one of the things that kind of stuck out to me, and this is my first combine, so I don't have the experience you do, but just having been in the company for a couple of years, is I just got the impression, and the big data bowl is kind of a, a symptom of this almost, that teams are obviously getting more analytically minded. And I think, you know, the Ravens are the obvious example from this last season. But it seems that just teams we're meeting with, like there's more interest and deeper questions and I think they're all still trying to figure out what to do with all this NGS data, but at least the interest is there. And they're still, again, figuring out how to use it. How much money are they allotting to different ways to use it? Are they able to implement it once they have these ideas and all that stuff? But it just seems that everything's going in the, you know, in our, from our perspective, the right direction uh, as far as teams getting interested in 
all this new and available data. Is that that fair to say from your angle, having been to a lot of these combines? Yeah, no doubt about it. This year, um, just the quantity of meetings, the people in the room, um, the general reception to some of the more, especially what we do in the more advanced modeling side off NGS data right. and visuals off NGS data, um, the, the general reception to it this year, yeah, I would say, you know, there's always examples of one way or the other, but on a macro level, certainly a lot more interest, a lot more, um, yeah, the types of questions that they're asking about it. It's deeper, it's more engaged. It's, uh, you can definitely see teams are, even if they're not, you know, fully integrating NGS data into their processes, the wheels are turning and there's Mm -hmm. a clear, indication that they're moving that direction to wanting to have that integrated more so yeah 100 percent. and i mean i'll be honest that's even more noticeable than l- last year i would say hmm. so okay. it's it, it, it could be one of those hockey stick type of growth things where you see this mm-hmm. kind of start to shoot up rather quickly i feel like part of that is a lot of it is obviously from the ngs data but just the fact that there is more public data or even public to say media partners, because I mean we got so many questions of the you know twenty five teams we met with, a, a big number ask about things like pass blocking metrics, and a lot of that is because ESPN had access to the NGS data as part of their deal with the league, and they developed their pass block win rate types of metrics this year. So I think things like that teams become aware of it, and it's goes to what we you know we saw this in baseball 20 years ago where kind of public analytics work can help drive what teams are doing they're doing stuff internally that isn't public of course and is ahead of it in some ways but in some ways that public discourse helps drive teams interest which is you know good for everybody who's kind of on the the data side and interested in making that work better in the league yeah no doubt and i i think if you ask mike lopez the sort of founder of the big data bowl and sort of the 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 head of it i i think he would say the same thing is the big a lot of what the big data bowl is for is to spur innovation for within teams too. You don't have to just take verbatim what these either the Kaggle comp, uh, competitors or the college students are doing, but it gets the wheels turning with oh they did this and I could try this right. instead. And um, so yeah, just being in the room and sort of hearing the different uh, ways they think about the data certainly spurs innovation too. Yeah, and I think you said 11 people who presented at last year's or were involved with last year's Big Data Bowl have been hired by teams in some capacity this year. So I'm sure the numbers will will keep going up there. All right. Thanks, Albert. And thanks again to Dmitry Gordeev and Philip Singer for joining us on the show for a conversation with Mike Lopez. As Albert said, kind of the originator of the Big Data Bowl. He's the director of football data and analytics with the NFL. So he and I talked here on Expected Value back in September about what he does and the role data plays for the league. So go back in the archives listen to my conversation with Mike Lopez. Next week, we'll have more from the NFL Combine, where I talked with Shiel Kapadia, NFL writer for The Athletic. He's one of the better writers at combining data and analytics with traditional reporting and journalism. So we had a good talk about how numbers have changed in the NFL and in his role over the past decade or two. This weekend, True Media is off to the Sloan Sports Analytics Conference in Boston. So give us a shout if you're interested in learning more about what we do or just to say hi. You can reach us on Twitter at True Media Sports, T-R-U Media Sports, or via email, expectedvalue at truemedianetworks.com. On behalf of Albert Larcata and everyone here at True Media, I'm Paul Carr. Thanks for listening to Expected Value, the podcast that goes inside the sports analytics world. 